whether it's grace, God, the universe, love, universal love is like the sun here as though it's not hitting you. But if you're in the house in a room with the lights and the shades turned off, it's going to appear as though it's not hitting you. You have to make the choice to open the blinds, walk through the door, walk outside, and then feel the rays. And even at times when you're in the house and the blinds are open, you can see the sun shining in. So it's always searching. It's always there for you. You just have to figure out what it is that you need to do to let it hit your skin. And sometimes it takes a friend to get you out of bed. Sometimes it takes a family member to open the door. Sometimes it takes a teammate to walk with you outside so that the sun can hit you. What is going on, everyone? Emily Abadi coming to you from the AG studio. You are listening to episode 194 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with Neka Ogumake. She's a WNBA player for the Los Angeles Sparks, and honestly, I so needed this conversation. If you are not motivated to work hard and be a good human after listening to this chat with NECA, loaded with so many gems, so many great one-liners, then you you weren't really listening. We talk about what it was like for her to grow up in an active family, going to Stanford, and traveling to play basketball overseas. She also shares the unconventional way she became the president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association and how it felt when they passed the collective bargaining agreement, abbreviated as the CBA. Plus, she talks to me about the hard lessons she learned navigating a tough knee injury last year when it comes to accepting help from others and lets her in on this really great journaling practice that she calls attitude, gratitude, magnitude. Again, so many gems, so much good, good stuff in this conversation. Trust me, you're going to want to bookmark this. You're going to want to send it to a friend. You're going to want to be taking notes while you're listening, all that stuff. NECA is an Adidas athlete. They connected us. So big, big thanks. Kudos to the team over at Adidas for helping us make this happen. And yeah, I'm just really, really excited. Two things, little bits of housekeeping I want to do this week. First up, I want to hype up the weekly hurdle. It's a newsletter. It comes out every single Friday morning, probably before you even get out of bed. And it brings a lot of the same inspiration, motivation, stuff that you love about the show directly into your email inbox again every single week. So I'd love for you to subscribe if you aren't already. A link to do that is in the show notes. And bonus, it is free. So really, what's your excuse? Also, on that note of keeping in touch with the show, I want to have you on the show. I want to have your questions on the show. I want to answer your questions on the show. So while you are checking out the show notes, click the link that says leave me a voice message and ask me anything you want. It can be about self-care, fitness, health, wellness, me, New York. I mean, literally no topics, (laughs) no topics. I say that, but like I also stumbled to say that a little bit. Nothing's off limits. So ask me a question. Please let me answer it. I want to help you in whatever way that I can. Make sure you are following along with the show over on social at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Neka Ogumake. She is a WNBA player for the Los Angeles Sparks. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for giving me your time. I, I'm fangirling a little bit over here, and I'm going to tell you why. So you're just going to need to like kick back for about like 30 seconds while I rattle off some of your outstanding accomplishments. <laughs> Tenth year in the league, Adidas athlete president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association, a job you didn't really want, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) Flashback to first overall pick 2012 WNBA draft by Los Angeles Sparks, 2012 rookie of the year, named recently to the W25 leagues list of the top 25 players in its first 25 years, 
you're up with the greats like Candace Parker and Lisa Leslie as one of the highest scoring players of all time. Like, did I do my research right? Are we cool? I think we're good. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I actually dot, dot, dot. Okay. You've done a lot. You've done a lot. And what I enjoy about you is that you have been in every interview I've ever listened to you so humble as you have come into your power, I would argue, where do you think that humbleness comes from? You know, I think it definitely comes from my upbringing. Um, It's a a bit of nature versus nurture, really. Um, You know, we we were raised in my family to just be great and do your best, do what's right. And I think that has certainly permeated each of our lives individually, um, not just in our careers, but in our, our persons as, as people in this world. And so, um, I guess that's kind of where it comes from, but I mean, honestly, I feel like humility is where you find your confidence. You know, I know, I know it sounds a little bit contradictory. Um, but when you exercise in humility, you're able to discover things that you can be better at. You're able to discover ways you can empower others. And ultimately that builds the strength and the confidence that keeps you going. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This mindset, this powerful mindset, I would say you're saying it stems from your upbringing, but you've got to have some other inspirations or role models where you have been able to garner some of this motivation and perspective, who would you say sits on that list? I mean, I can't really say that I have like a list of people that I, you know, I I necessarily look up to. I think what makes up the people that inspire me are the people that I deal with every day. Now, of course, my family, my sisters and my parents. And then I've had the blessing of having so many coaches, teachers, administrators, mentors along the way, teammates and friends that just kind of align with my frequency. And I learned so much from people that kind of share the same goals and values. And those everyday people that are a part of my, my, my village are really who inspire me the most. I love that. I described it as humble, but I would also argue, and I, I know that you'll agree that at times you've kind of been like maybe a little intimidated to take that first step or believe in yourself again, despite your outrageous talent. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about that, about coming into your own in the sport, at least of basketball, and then we'll kind of extend it beyond that. I I think that coming into my own in basketball was less about goal setting and more about a kind of expression, you know, Um, finding ways to channel this hyperactivity that is natural in me. (laughs) And uh, of course, contributing to being well-rounded as our parents raised us to be. So sports became a thing because health was a thing, you know, and eventually understanding not only can you work to get better at something, not only can you stay healthy doing something, um, but you can also be on a team and build and, and build character that that you can apply, not just on the court, you can apply it in the classroom, in society, in your community. So I'd have to say that um, that's kind of what brought me into this. And it still is kind of what keeps me in it. Now, of course, like I mentioned before, I've had the relationships is really what get me, gets me going with what I do. So being able to balance like how I can challenge myself individually while also having so many collective experiences just because of basketball um, is it's truly a blessing. And I'm really grateful to continue to be learning. You know, I, I don't believe in ever mastering anything. You know, I think that there's always room. You said that health was a thing for you growing up in what way? Like, talk to us about what that looked like. Yeah. I mean, um, my parents are both very active, not competitive athletes, but, um, they worked out a lot and they also engaged in sports when it was on TV, you know, we would always sit together and watch sports. And then ultimately, of course, when we started trying to figure out what sports we were going to get into, we all started playing and it was fun. Then it became competitive. Then it became opportunistic with scholarships and ultimately a way of life. The silver lining of it all is that you're doing something to maintain your health. And that's like your health all around. That's kind of how it started, but we've discovered so many ways that it can benefit us where with health being kind of the seed. Yeah. It's funny uh, that you say opportunistic 
with scholarships. I heard you speak uh, on a podcast and you were talking about how you realized that in order to get to where you wanted to go, uh, you were going to have to like open yourself up in a way that maybe you weren't originally open to. Talk to me about uh, selecting where you wanted to go to college and how that kind of all panned out. Yeah. So, you know, when I started playing basketball, I was the first in the family. So it was like a family thing. We were all learning. My parents had no idea about it. We had no idea about it. The most we knew about basketball was the Comets and the Rockets and the Pistons. (laughs) Once we realized that, you know, there was a competitive nature to it, then we started traveling on AAU teams and going to tournaments, um, ultimately realizing that letters from schools were starting to come in. And it didn't occur. I, I had known about academic scholarships, but I had no idea about sports scholarships. And so once that happened, it was clear like, OK, I've worked hard because I know I want to go to college, but I never knew that working hard would get me to compete at the college, collegiate level. So it it became opportunistic, you know, in a way that realized dreams that maybe seemed more far fetched before before understanding what basketball could bring. Um, and I chose. I chose to go to Stanford because of that very reason. Um, my Stanford diploma is it probably has more value than than any trophy that I could ever get. And so setting yourself up for life in that way, while also still being able to be at such a renowned institution um, and highly competitive program was just it was the perfect storm for me. The perfect storm. And when you started playing in college, did you foresee yourself kind of continuing on this path post degree? No. No. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I I do have to tell you that I'm a UConn graduate. Oh, wow. Oh, she says, oh. (laughs) Oh, You know, you know women's college. I know. I mean, please, I don't have a a basketball influence bone in my body. I'm a a runner, (laughs) but I I do know that when I sit down and pony up with some WNBA players, I feel the need to disclaim that as we go on in our conversation. I think it's good that you definitely put that out there. You just know. know. Okay. But you you didn't see yourself going, you know, pro at all. Talk to me about the decision to continue in your pursuit of athletics, despite, you know, what you were saying, the most valuable thing that you have here, this Stanford degree. Yeah. You know, I honestly think that um, me not taking, I don't want to say not taking it seriously, but me not seeing that as a viable route for my career and future had a lot to do with accessibility and exposure um, that lacks in women's sports. It wasn't something that I had anyone that I knew or trusted that could show me an example of it being a career. Um, but of course I had, like I said, my village is, my village is really where I find most inspiration. I had a little sister in Cheney who I went to school with, who was already, <laughs> already a sports, a sports, uh, personality before she became one. And she was telling me, Uh, My senior year when I was, you know, performing at a high level, um, you know, you have a chance to become the first round draft, the first draft pick in the WNBA. And I was like, well, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, I think I'm really going to try to get into this post-bac program to become a doctor. And that's a a huge cultural influence being Nigerian-American. But like you said, I had to do something that I didn't know where it would take me, um, but I knew that doors were wide open. And I realized that because someone, you know, believed in me and instilled it in me um, and also helped me realize that you can always go back to school, you know, but I wouldn't be able to turn back the hands of time to try and play in the W. So that's kind of how I made my decision. And me being the person that I am, I was already prepared to graduate early anyway, because my senior year, I didn't want to have to worry about finals during the final four. So it was a good plan either way. <laughs> <laughs> you you made a reference to the cultural influence of like going on to be a doctor when you made this decision to kind of put that on hold or maybe who knows, not pursue it at all. What did your parents have to say about it? I mean, I think it was kind of us learning what the basketball world was like all over again. Um, they understood the opportunity in front of me and um, just wanted to make sure that it was something that I could pursue and then guided me the best way that they could. And and looking back now, that guidance came with, OK, figuring out, you know, what I would be graduating when I would be graduating, whether I'd be able to come back and walk across the stage, 
who would represent me as far as an agent goes, you know, so those were things that I didn't have to do by myself um, that I can imagine would be so difficult for, for a young, a young semi or pre-professional trying to figure out, you know, where this life is going to take them. So even without necessarily taking the medical route, I still had that village that, that brought me to where I was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's interesting. You were talking about women's access and sport. I know, uh, through your partnership with Adidas and their impossible is nothing campaign. Like this is a very big focus for you right now. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I think that especially, you know, for women in the world, most notably in sports and entertainment, you know, there, the representation is, it's been abysmal. It's getting better. What a word, abysmal. <laughs> oh, ooh, that's like, that, that hits deep. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we all feel it, you know? Yes. Um, it's getting better, obviously, but, you know, we can't, we can't continue to sit at a table for which those who are at the head, presumably, continue to impart upon us to be grateful for us even having a seat. And that's not, that's definitely not the case. Um and being able to work with Adidas and to and to represent Impossible is nothing, I think is so monumental, not just because of the brand that I align with, but of course, because I am someone that I didn't see growing up. And so I'm sure I serve as a representation for young young girls and young aspirers who are looking to find someone that they resonate with that's doing something that they want to do. And with that, like you said me not having that representation, you, you have to sometimes walk that path. What, what feels like blinded, you know, because there's, there's nothing to show you an example of, of what you're trying to attain, but being able to understand that impossible is nothing. It, it, it just shows that you can do it, even if it doesn't seem like it's, it's possible, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. you create that path. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So you started to like, kind of dip your toe in the water of like maybe impossible is nothing by traveling overseas and playing with a few different teams. When you think about your time in Russia and China, what really stood out to you as like the moment where you were like, I'm really doing this. <laughs> when I was living in a country where I was the only person that looked like me. Oh my gosh. Also too, just like realizing that you're, I mean, like I was in a, in what felt like a whole new world and there for eight months, you know, yeah. and it doesn't quite hit you until I guess, I mean, for me, until there's just the everyday happenings that you're not used to navigating, you know, driving myself somewhere in Russia, going to a grocery store without, without a translator in China, um, you know, learning how to drive stick shift in several inches of snow in Poland, you know, it's just, there's there's so many different worlds and lifestyles and ways of life that we're not exposed to that really, really build the multidimensional nature of women that embodies that impossible is nothing. Because in the face of it all, we get it done. And that's just our nature. And I think it's going to be a reason why people... Um, may feel as though they're left behind once women in sport becomes this tidal wave of opportunity. Tidal wave. I feel as though there has to be at least like one or two funny stories stemming from learning how to drive stick shift in Russia in snow. <laughs> I mean, let's just say I didn't get it the first time. <laughs> Or the first time. I didn't time. get it the first time in like my high school parking lot. Like. Oh my gosh. And that was, um, I mean, like it never occurred to me that I would ever need to learn how to drive one until I got overseas. Then it became a necessity. And it was like, okay, you either learn or you don't go anywhere. And so thankfully, when I first went overseas in Poland, that was my rookie year. So my dad stayed with me for three weeks the first time, like the first time I went over there and he was teaching me how to drive stick. But he's one of those kind of like throw you in the water type of instructors. So he drove us to like the local mall. And then on the way back, he was like, oh, you're driving us back. And I was like, yeah, but I haven't even practiced. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I stalled in the middle of it wasn't like a highway, but it was in a high anxiety intersection. Oh. Oh. But I'm here. 
I'm here and I know how to drive a stick I shift. Made it. Yeah. I came back. I'm doing great. Dude, oh, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. But I mean, all of that, you're talking about like this, this tidal wave, right? Like all of these experiences overseas culminating in you coming back home and kind of taking that next step, understanding that those experiences prepared you for what would bring you to draft day. So talk to us a little bit about draft day. It was my mom's birthday, which was pretty amazing. And <laughs> it was just a flurry of events. It was just, it just felt like everything that was happening was just kind of like floating in the air or whizzing past me. But it really felt like, okay, this is the beginning of what I'm going to do. Um, and I just wanted, I just wanted to be great. I wanted to be ready. I wanted to be prepared. And I wanted wherever I ended up to understand my investment and to understand that I just want my legacy to be that of contagion. You know, I, I want to be um, the best that I can and hopefully hopefully impart that upon anyone that I work with. And I've been in LA ever since and it's been it's been a journey, but I'm so grateful for it. I'm I'm so very grateful for it. Really almost a seamless transition because I had been going to school at Stanford and then just to go down south. I'm I'm a I guess I'm a Calatexan or whatever they call it. Yeah. It's so interesting. Wasn't there like a, a moment where you had the potential to be drafted by, was it in Oklahoma? Yeah, in Tulsa. I think so. Like when <laughs> the draft lottery was happening, they also had several balls in the pot. And so I was like, huh. <laughs> you know, I'm grateful for wherever I go. But L.A. was a great choice to land on. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to work out. It did. For you. I love what you said about like you knew that you wanted to be great. And I think that this is something that at least I've been thinking a lot about lately is that same desire of wanting to be great. But the difference between being versus doing right, because in that moment, like you knew you wanted to be great, but by the way that you talk about, you were also taking the steps that you needed to become great. It wasn't just you sitting around and being like, I want to be great. I know I can be great. I want to be great. I know I can be great. It was like there was action behind that. So at that time, talk to us about what those actions looked like. Um, you know, these actions kind of, I would say that they evolve year by year. So I, I, I joke around with a lot of people like my rookie year, I, I went nowhere. I just went to the gym, went to my room went to the gym, went to my room. And that was what worked for me. You know, that was the focus that worked for me. Um, but then each year is different. You know, every year you have experience from the last and then you have goals towards the next. And, um, and I think being great is all about just all of the trivial things, all of the nuanced things. I think we get so caught up with the grandiose idea of what being great, what being phenomenal, what being amazing is. But any prominent woman or person in sport always talks about doing the things that people don't want to do, making small decisions that really alter the rest of their day, having discipline. I think discipline is the highest form of self-love and it, it contributes to the being that you're talking about. You know, you can have a to-do list but what are you embodying every day? And so for me, it's, you know, ha being disciplined on, you know, what I'm putting in my body. Also staying balanced and not identifying too much with my sport. And, you know, of course, going out there and enjoying life. I mean, like my job is a job that a lot of people dream of having and never get the chance to. So not taking it too seriously is also a part of the small things that you can do every day. I mean, I could give you a list of details and actions that I take, but that's unique to me. What works for me isn't going to work for you. You just have to find out what lights you up here and here. And that's what being great contributes to. And that's kind of what creates the sustainability or what people in sport like to call the legacy over time. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, Daily Harvest. 
You know that AG1 from Athletic Greens is a big part of my morning routine to get in those first servings of fruits and vegetables. But as the day goes on and things get hectic, it can be really, really easy to get sidetracked on my healthy eating goals. And that is where Daily Harvest comes into the mix. I keep my freezer stocked with Daily Harvest because it's the easiest way to get more fruits and veggies into my day every single day. They have got me covered with so many just super, super tasty options ranging from tomato and zucchini minestrone soup. That's been one of my go-tos lately. Also their broccoli and cheese harvest bowl, super delicious. Oh, and I love taking the tomatillo and pepper flatbread and sprinkling on a little mozzarella and having just a little afternoon pizza. All of these great options take little to no time to make. Plus, they have something that can be great for breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, snack, you name it. And like I said at the top of this, they are all about doing good for the planet from their recyclable and compostable packaging to investing in organic farming practices and reducing food waste. With Daily Harvest, you can feel good about the choices you are making physically and for the environment. Daily Harvest makes it easy to feel good about what I'm doing for myself and the planet. Head on over to dailyharvest.com slash hurdle pod to get up to $40 off your first box. Again, that is dailyharvest.com slash hurdle pod for up to $40 off your first box dailyharvest.com slash hurdle pod I also want to give some love to my friends at Inside Tracker. Listen, I am always seeking to do all the right things for my body so that I can have more energy, get better sleep, and a healthy immune system. I want to live longer, I want to live better, and I want to live healthier. So obviously, I was super excited to try out Inside Tracker last year, and it has made such a big difference in how I feel and the way I think about what I'm putting into my body. Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. Through my Inside Tracker panel and working with a registered dietitian, Inside Tracker gave me meaningful insights to get a better understanding about what was going on with me and my body, and then provided a customized action plan with science-backed nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle recommendations so that I, again, could get to that next level potential. Of course, Inside Tracker is offering hurdlers an amazing discount. Head on over to insidetracker.com/hurdle and you will receive 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store for a limited time. Again, that is i n s i d e t r a c k e r.com/hurdle to receive 25% off their entire store today. your list of things that you were doing is like self-help work that people do over the course of like three decades, (laughs) (laughs) understanding the difference between, uh, you know, NECA, the basketball player versus NECA, the individual, and that your greatness doesn't reside in one of those two in, in just one basket is within itself, like such a beautiful and important lesson that so many of us learn, especially during times when we can't do the thing, which is a big part of our identity. Now, I don't want to jump around too much, but I do want to talk to you about your injury from 21, because I'm sure that in that moment, that knee injury, you probably struggled a little bit with your identity. A lot. I struggled a lot. You know, I had, that was the, that's the first injury that has kept me out for that long. I've had like a high ankle sprain. I've had concussions, um, but having an injury that was so acute, um, both in nature and, and I guess also a bit in prognosis because it was very straightforward, like what needed to happen for me to get back on the court. There was no gray area about it. I struggled a lot with my self-worth in that injury based upon everything that was going on, you know, being selected for the Olympic team and being there for my team in a, in a year in which so much change was experienced and having to watch from the sidelines, you know, knowing that my teammates were holding it down, you know, we had, we still had to play. And so a lot of what I experienced was I, it, it felt like I was trying to reconvince myself of my worth. I feel as though, me experiencing the injury along with decisions that were made last summer, it stripped me of what I thought I knew about my contributions, what I bring to the table. 
as a person, not even just as a player, obviously injuries happen. And so you can't be out there. You can't be out there, but how, how I, how I experienced the injury at the timing that it did, it really opened my eyes to what I thought was important and things that may have gone overlooked because of the amount of work I was physically putting in to goals. And what I realized that I overlooked was the people around me that support me. And it's not to say that I wasn't appreciating them, but there's certain people that were there for me in that time that are the people that get you out of those dark moments. And I think that there's a common misconception when it comes to whether it's mental health or anxiety or worry is that it's your, it's on you to get yourself out of it. And there are, there's a lot of work that you do need to do, but a lot of times when you're stuck, your core, your village, your circle are the people that pull you out, you know, and then you can finally see the light. I remember I, I, I heard this analogy a long time ago. I don't even remember when, but they said that like, whether it's grace God, the universe, love, universal love is like the sun. It's always shining. But if you're in the house, in a room with the lights and the shades turned off, it's going to appear as though it's not hitting you. You have to make the choice to open the blinds, walk through the door, walk outside, and then feel the rays. And even at times when you're in the house and the blinds are open, you can see the sun shining in. So it's always searching. It's always there for you. You just have to figure out what it is that you need to do to let it hit your skin. And sometimes it takes a friend to get you out of bed. Sometimes it takes a family member to open the door. Sometimes it takes a teammate to walk with you outside so that the sun can hit you. And that's kind of what I experienced. That's the best analogy that I can give that kind of consummates my injury and what I was experiencing last year. You and I have spent 27 minutes talking to each other, <laughs> but I think it goes without saying that you probably are the strong person for a lot of people in your life. I definitely identify that way as well. And I understand that that is me also at times, like maybe not being upfront about the things that I'm going through right off the bat, because I want to stand as a pillar for those that I care about. But the broader understanding of knowing exactly what you're saying, mm -hmm. of knowing that it's okay to let someone give you their hand. It's okay to take their hand. It's okay to be like, yo, I am not doing so hot. And even just like that idea of feeling stuck, right? Oh, that resonates with me so much. How many times do I just feel like, man, I really wish someone could help me lift me up out of the pool that I feel like I'm just like spinning my legs in. Yeah. I wish that so often someone would just extend that olive branch to me. But it's not thinking like, oh, I'm a burden. I can't ask for that. It's, oh, if I have the relationships, the right relationships in my life, then I will never, ever have to feel that way. Right. You're, you hit the nail on the head with being the strong one. It, it can be empowering at times, but it sucks when like, <laughs> yeah. when you feel like there's, there's nothing that can match, like, you you don't have a strong person for you. And that's what it that's what it seems like. But you have to kind of break that down and understand that everyone is strong in their own way. And there's a reason why there's people in your life that can bring out of you what for you may feel really vulnerable. Yeah. Something that that you also hit on that I think is really important to understand is true grace and greatness. It happens in those moments when you keep doing the work and seemingly nothing is changing. And I don't mean to say like build on bad habits, but when sometimes when things are happening and in life, it feels as though you're riding a plateau. It's just that patience is preparing you. I was just talking to someone about this this morning. I struggle with anticipation. Like I understand that things can't happen as planned. Even though I'm such a planner, I understand that things can't happen as planned. But for me, when the plan is ambiguous, it's, it's understanding that patience is also preparing me. I don't have to feel like I have to keep doing something. And so I think my injury forced me to sit down. And it was very helpful because I had to sit with myself and I had to sit. I mean, I ultimately, I couldn't move. So I had to sit with people that were there for me. 
So it was it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, but like this analogy extends to every single person over the last two years of our life. And so to think about you going through that necessity to sit still and feel a little bit stuck while physically in some ways, Mm -hmm. all of us having to sit still and be a little bit stuck. Like it's no wonder why you felt like you were in the room with the shades drawn because how could you not? How could you not Mm -hmm. feel that way considering everything that was going on in the world, nevertheless, everything that was just going on with you and your body not being able to execute in the way that you were used to. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And realizing at times that those things kind of happen for a reason, but then also allowing yourself to feel it without it becoming a part of you. Mm. That's a big challenge in anything Mm -hmm. in life. We have to feel these things you know, otherwise they wouldn't exist. You know, we learn a lot through our challenges, but it's what happens after, or it's how you push through the tunnel that gets you to the light at the end. Adulting is hard. Adulting is hard. Adulting is so hard. (laughs) Talking about the light at the end of the tunnel, I said, I didn't want to jump around too much. And then we harped on this for a moment because I think it's a really important part of your story so far. But you have been like trudging your way through this career like none other. I highlighted so many of your amazing accomplishments at the top of this podcast. I asked you when you thought that you knew that you wanted to continue on with this professionally, but when professionally would you say that you really understood, I am one of the best women to ever have done this? Honestly, when we signed the CBA. Yes. Yeah. When I would, I had the pleasure of working with my current executive committee and our WNBPA um, staff. And of course the WNBA um, front office signing the CBA for me. I mean, and granted I've won a championship. I've, I've, you know, had all, all types of honors and recognition as it pertains to like my my achievements on the court, but signing the CBA for me was like, oh my gosh, like this is history. And then also too, completing a bubble season was also a major, major accomplishment. Um, It's not anything I would wish upon anyone. It's not anything (laughs) I would ever do again. But those two things stand out in my career. I was like, wow, like that's going to be in the history books. Like we were a part of that. That was huge. But I think after having after having settled into my role as a player, as a president, and as a person, I find myself now in my career just kind of like, man, I just want to hoop. And I want people to get to know me outside of my roles. It's funny because I think people see me as, I think people give me like principal energy and I don't really like it. Oh, principal energy. I mean, like, because like I am the president and most times I've been captain on my team, you know? I'm just like an overachiever. I'm like the person that was also student council president and like captain of the varsity, et cetera, et cetera. It's cool, but I'm just kind of like, I want people to know me. Like, girl, I was the same way, please. Like, (laughs) youth group president for my entire region of three states. Like, what was, you know, sometimes you're just like, you just identify as that, like, that's the person that you're going to be. You're going to be at the forefront, even though you're going to have these moments where you do doubt yourself. You know, I do want to make sure that I double click here on two things that go hand in hand. I mentioned at the top of this that you were like, yo, I don't even want to be the president. Talk to us a little bit about how that kind of came to fruition. Well, you know, um, I think for the longest, it's always kind of been a job that was assumed because a lot of people don't, there's, it's, it's a hard job, especially in this world where women's sports is growing. Um, and so the growing part sounds good, but you know, we all know what growing pains feel like, you know, like it's, it's not always fun. I had always been, I had always been voted as a player representative without my knowledge by my teammates. And so I naturally just kind of became a part of the circuit. And then ultimately I got voted onto the executive committee without my knowledge as my teammates (laughs) for my teammates. And so I, I was like the baby of the bunch when Tamika was the president. And then when she was retiring, she came to me. She was like, yeah, so um, I'm going to need you to run. And I was like, yeah, so um, no. (laughs) But she, you know, when when someone like Tamika, you know, you know, in a lot of ways suggests that you need to run for something or (laughs) that you need to step up and um, be a part of something, then you don't really say no. So that's kind of what I did. And it has been a complete, I was a guppy. Like it was a complete learning process from the beginning. 
but I have an amazing executive committee. We have an amazing WNBPA staff. Um, and I, I don't know what I would do without that group of people. Like we, we have some, some really enlightening conversations. We have some, um, conversations that aren't always easy for people to have, but there's such a comfort and there's such a, a revolutionary air to how we do what we do and how we communicate and how we represent um, the 144 that just really ignites us and it, it, it allows us to be change makers. Yeah. And you mentioned the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. Let's give a little bit of insight onto that for those that may not be familiar and are listening to this right now. Yeah. So the collective bargaining agreement is essentially a really long agreement that um, highlights and details, you know, the rights of the players as agreed upon by the player association or the union and the WNBPA, their employers. So it's um, the union and union, union workers agree with their employer to have rights and proper working conditions. I love the 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 air quotes <laughs> that are like happening on our end here. So for you, why was this just like such a monumental thing that you have accomplished so far in your career? Uh, it didn't occur to me until we announced that we had um, included, you know, innovative um, models and details for which we could you know, start having the the conversation around equity um, as it's directly represented in an agreement that affects us until, you know, women who weren't even in sport were talking to us about how monumental it was that we signed such um, a revolutionary agreement. And, you know, as athletes, you think, okay, you know, I have an unconventional job. There's just things that happen and that we do. And, at times you feel sometimes that you're kind of behind the grain, but um, it was evident that we were setting the tone for women in the workplace, not just women in sport. Um, but then, of course, too, to now come to today and see that the, the NWSL has signed their first CBA and and just being being able to contribute what we learned for other women to be monumental, to be historical, and ultimately for us to leave things better than when we entered it is just huge. This is something that will change things forever. And there's no retracting. There's no going back. Um, and so to be a part of that forward progress and that forward movement is is amazing. It's exciting to see the progress that we're making. It's exciting. Think about where it could go from here. When you think about what you want next, you mentioned the Olympics and obviously navigating that, that knee injury, what's on your bucket list going forward? I just want to hoop and I just want to win some trophies. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. I'd also like to lift up other women and like, you know, all of these things, but hooping and trophies sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I mean, of course, you know, I look forward to seeing what more we can do um, as a players association and as a league, but <laughs> you mentioned also your outstanding executive committee. I know that your sister Shanae is on it as well. What's it been like for you two to be able to share this love for basketball uh, and keep it within the fam? Oh, fantastic. I think the person that loves it the most is my mom for sure. You know, it's, I get to play with her. I'm on the executive committee with her. You know, we get to talk about these things every day that affect us, that affect our teammates and the women of this league. Um, and for us to be able to have those kind of congruencies amidst, you know, our, our almost kind of like separate careers because she's taken her path and I've taken mine. It's, it's fun to be able to, to always relate, you know, and something that we yeah. both love to do. How is it that you're making the time to take care of you considering everything we talked about from the challenges of the, uh, you know, the year that we just, mm -hmm. just checked off? Yeah. You know, I think this is something that looks very different for a lot of people. Taking time can look like a whole different, it, it, it looks so different for every person. And I think also too, at times for the individual, it looks different on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis. And so you know, the time that I take now in our off season is very different from the time that I would take during season. So now like I really, 
when I, when people say, oh, we're going to work, you know, I'm going to work. I got to get up, get ready, go to work. My work is like waking up and working out. Like that's what I do. And so granted in two or three hours every morning, I do that. But like having the discipline and having my morning routine that sets me up to have like a great workout. And, and then of course having a recovery session at the end, just learning more about my discipline, learning more about um, my personal boundaries when it comes to, you know, how far I can extend myself, but then always staying tapped in, you know, being able to talk to people like you, being able to show up, um, whether it's at a dinner appearance or a photo shoot, like enjoying those moments, um, when the season is not happening, um, being very present is one way that I really try my best, um, to stay balanced, um, because there's going to be a day when no one remembers who you are. So you have to, you have to be very, very grateful for every moment. And so this off season, I've really been focusing on that and saying yes to doing more after experiencing a couple years of us needing to kind of detach from one another physically, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know about if there's going to be a day where people don't know who you are with the legacy <laughs> that you're consciously working on and, and building here. Two quick things to double click on. First thing you said, morning routine, a buzzword for many two parts of your morning routine that are non-negotiable. What are they? Ooh, I journal. And is there I, a, is there a framework to that, that you stick by? Yeah. So I'm kind of like a, I have my own kind of like prompts. So like I have this thing that I made up is called attitude, gratitude, magnitude. So I write about like how I, I guess attitude is kind of like mantra sort of, but like I write, you know, how I'm feeling, you know, you have to speak in the present and you have to speak good upon yourself. So like you just write about things that like I am, I feel, I feel this, you know? Um, and then gratitude, I write down, that's always at the end of the day, but in the morning I write down my attitude and magnitude. Magnitude are things that I want to see happen their goals, their dreams, um, you know, their, their prayers, manifestations, whatever it is. And I'm very detailed about it. You know, you can't be too vague with those. So I definitely journal every morning. Um, and then I have like a meditative or prayerful moment. And a lot of times I kind of mix that with like some type of stretching or like some way to kind of invigorate my body. So whether it's like in child's pose or my legs up elevated against the wall, um, I try to do at least like 15 minutes of that every morning before I get up. <laughs> Are you willing to share what's on the magnitude from anything from the last week? Ooh. I like that piece of advice about being very specific about it, like being very, you know, you can have positive intentions, but until you like actually get specific about the things that you want, like that's how it helps those things actually happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would say like something that I'm specifically um, manifesting is for my team to have the resources necessary to build a Sparks practice facility. And like, mm -hmm. I write that down. And like, sometimes if you want to, you can write it down, down to like when you want it to happen, like by this year, by this day. But that's something I've been writing down for about a year. You know, that's interesting, right? Because I think someone will say like, you were just talking about how, like how specific you can get. And maybe someone who is a little bit more cynical would be like, well, how much of that is actually in your control? But when you take a step back and you ask yourself that question, like a fair amount of it could be in your control. If you actually like speak up and take action against the thing that you want, even if it is a little bit grandiose, right? Right. Yeah. No, a hundred percent because you're not writing it down in hopes that you just put it out there and it's going to happen. But right. You're writing it down to make it material, but then you're also writing it down so that you can see that all the actions that you take on a day to day, whether you feel like they're you're in your control or not, are towards those goals. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love it. I love it. All mm -hmm. right. We're starting to wind down here right now. Someone doesn't know you that well. Maybe they're hearing about you for the first time on this show right now. Mm -hmm. They go to your Instagram page to check you out. They're like, wow, like superstar basketball player. Jeez, 154,000 people follow her. This is crazy. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I see, I guess you could say like a big sister. Um, and I mean that both literally and and figuratively, I feel like I, I hold that role for a lot of people in my life. I see a leader, someone who's in charge. Um, and 
I see a creative. I see someone who's very creative. There's a lot that I use to express myself, whether it's through food, through music, through television. There's a lot of stuff that I do that people don't really, or like that I pay attention to or that I engage with that people don't really know about. What are we cooking? Ooh, um, right now on my fridge, I have lo mein as something that I want to make. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love how also you were like, I see the strong friend. Like, let's make that full circle. Like, when I I look in the mirror, I see this person that is a person that is here for everyone I care about. Yeah, I really am that person, though. Yeah, that's just kind of who I am. But, um, you know, I love music. I love food. I love TV and movies. Like, I actually really like fashion, too. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm I have a very creative essence. So, <laughs> Lomain is on the menu. I'm currently looking at <laughs> Amber Mark. Yeah. hears this, they're like, okay, so we're going to need to start working on some specific key pieces for 2023, <laughs> 2024. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. But yeah. <laughs> start, start putting that on, on the magnitude list. Yeah, right, right. Oh my God. Well, okay. Final question here for you, NECA. Right now, you have an p- opportunity to offer yourself a year ago going through the thick of it, sitting in that dark room, dealing with the knee injury, the pandemic is in full force. You have an opportunity to offer that woman a piece of advice looking back on it now with the new perspective that you have. What is it that you tell her? You just got to feel it. Feel it and forget it. Like, feel it and let it go. Allow yourself to feel. Don't, Don't arrest yourself in this idea that hurting is not healing. My soul, my soul, all of this is like, honestly, such a, such a joy to talk to you today. I appreciate you, Neka. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me all the details. Absolutely. Um, my name is Neko Gomeke. You can find me at Neko Gomeke on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I think that's really the best way on social media, but most importantly, I play for the LA Sparks, so you can get your tickets at the LASparks.com. You can watch us. You can sub- you can subscribe to League- WNBA League Pass um, for you to be able to watch me and the LA Sparks at your earliest convenience. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 